the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Welcome into the latest edition of the Spot Track Podcast. This is a new voice for you, so I'll introduce myself in a moment. But the man himself, Mike Gennetti, here with me as we get you the latest news in the sports financial world, and there is quite a bit of it. So we're going to have sort of a new format here at least once a week right here on this podcast page. And Mike, I'll let you take it from there since this is your channel and uh, you can introduce this properly. Yeah, we uh, we picked a hell of a week to set this up, by the way. There's about nine breaking news items to get to. So, uh, yeah, this is Mike Gennetti from Track. You are Brandon Kravitz. Uh, you're going to have to give your resume <laughs> at some point here because I, I don't remember all of it. Uh, we speak weekly on one of your radio shows down in Florida, and uh, it's been going well for a while. So we decided let's give it a try on our network and see if we can uh, ramp things up here with the Spot Trek podcast a little bit. So I appreciate you being here. And uh, look, talk about yourself for a few minutes, and then let's get to this news because it's a big, big sports money day for sure. Yeah, so to back up Mike's point there, our uh, on-air bond came from back in – well, it really was years before 2019, but I didn't get my own three-hour show in Orlando until 2019, and I knew the very first moment they gave me my <laughs> own block uh, that Mike Gennetti was going to be the first guest that I reached out to. He was my go-to for all things, just like any of you listening to this right now, go-to for any sports financial news, and there's so much of it every single week that we yeah. never, I never, whenever we talk, I never feel like I'm short on content. If anything, I have to cut things off on a weekly basis, even during what's considered to be the slower months. So as far as me, I uh, I host the afternoon show called In the Zone on uh, 96.9 The Game. It's an iHeartRadio partner. And um, that's from 3 to 6 p.m. every weekday. I also work with rotowire.com. I host a daily fantasy football, baseball, basketball podcast, cover all the injuries, uh, and any daily fantasy news that's five days a week also found wherever you download your favorite podcasts. And I work with the Orlando Magic as well during the regular season. I host their pregame, halftime, and postgame show for all of the home games at the Amway Center. So between football season and all of that, I am kept very busy, but I'm excited to jump on this project with you. Yeah, real quick, one question for you before you start firing away at me. What What is your go-to sport? Uh, I uh, NFL first. Okay. I would say it's NFL, NBA, college football, mm. and then whatever is big in the moment. You know, <laughs> college basketball during March, golf during the majors. I've got my Arnold Palmer hat on here for uh, mm -hmm. any watching on video. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I try and keep it eclectic, but I grew up an NFL fan first and foremost. Baseball, of course, gets is in the mix as well. I'm from Baltimore, Maryland. So big Baltimore Orioles fan and um, let's try and cover it all, you know, and nice. I know we're going to start in the baseball world because my goodness, this yeah. news that we got overnight is sort of a, a bombshell. Shohei Otani as angels management has reported a UCL tear, which is in the same elbow as the one he had repaired back in 2018. And this is coming at a really bad time, a bad time for the angels are 10 and a half games back in the wild card, really bad time for Otani because of that massive valuation. So I think we should start there. Let's just remind everybody prior to this injury, what was the valuation going to be for Shohei Otani? 
I think it's a bummer for us too. And uh, anybody who kind of follows this stuff, not just baseball, but money. I mean, this was supposed to be the the winter of Otani, this historic contract. And I don't think it's hyperbole to say that 600 million was going to be the number. Um, it's in to some degree, whether it was kind of phased approach like Julio Rodriguez scored, where it's going to be 300 up front and another 300 on the back end if he hits a couple of conditions. But I, I have a hard time now seeing that being the situation. I really do. Um, there were already so many red flags, right? The two-way scenario, the age, uh, the fact that we just have no precedence to set and, and to go behind with this. So, look, yeah, walking into this thing, it was 12 for 600 pretty easily, 10 for, you know, 550, I think, on, on an average scale. I have seen ESPN and a couple other networks throw the 650 around. So I, I don't think we're... We're going too big when we talk about, you know, the pitcher slash hitter valuations that we have at about 300 million each. Uh, I just don't know if we're there anymore. Uh, you know, it, it seems like everybody was looking for a reason to topple this thing off the mountain. And now we have it. Well, and so what what then becomes of <laughs> if this is. This is if he does go under the knife, he's not going to be able to pitch for all of 2024. By the time you get him back on the mound, which is part of his overall value, this insane unicorn, the literal definition in the sports world, he's going to be 31. That's not a death knell for an elite starting pitcher, but the Scherzers and the Verlanders are sort of the outliers. Mm -hmm. Most dominant pitchers hover around 30. They're not past it. So what then becomes of a Shohei Otani contract? Does it change that much? Because he still is extremely marketable. You're putting butts in seats with the, whether he pitches or not. Can he hit? Right, That's the big question. Can he still go out there and be a DH for 150 games for, for the majority of his season? I I think there's press. I think we have that, right? I think Bryce Harper has done this. There's been some, been some players who have done this from a, a batting standpoint. So does that make him 75% as valuable right now? Is there still a team that's going to throw, you know, a $400 million offer with tons of conditions if he can get back on the mound and innings pitched and, and whatever else you have to do to get him up to where he belongs? Probably because you're right. If he's wearing your uniform and he's playing more than 50% of the games, the, the, the Japanese, the, the, all the markets that can open up to your network are just ridiculous. I mean, I, I read somewhere that, He's worth upwards of $1 million a game to Anaheim just, just because of the luxury suites Crazy. and what he can do um, on a single homestand basis. So I, I think people are going to be in on this. I don't think it's going to be as drastic to the point of where we have to say he's got to take a one-year qualifying offer with Anaheim just to let this thing pass and then see where we are in 2025. You might hear some people saying that, right? That that's actually his best business decision is the, is the, is the rehab in Los Angeles on the $20 million offer sheet and then do this thing again next winter, I think it's too risky. I think he's still too valuable to go that route. So I'm still saying he's a 300 to $400 million player right now, as long as he can convince people that he can swing the bat and be valuable for then, and then eventually get back on the mound. But I think it's all conditional at this point, right, Brandon? Well, wouldn't that then cost him about $200 million? I mean, I'm cutting I'm this thing the, in half. Yeah. 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 I think I'm cutting this thing in half right now. I think he's, well, he's maybe lost that year off is the way to million. go. Uh, if it's going to cause, if you start doing the, like you said, though, it, it is, it is, it's definitely risky, but you're talking about a risk. You're at the craps table yeah. where if you roll the, you roll the dice the right way, craps isn't my game, by the way. But uh, <laughs> if you roll the, if you're right, roll the right combination, you land at 
the two hundred you an extra two hundred million dollars potentially. So yeah, maybe it's like blackjack like where you've got it. the face card flipped over right now. You know what I mean? And and you're taking a bet on what that next card's gonna be. And I think right now there's there's a world where that's a two, you know, there's a world where that's the worst card possible. But I I don't know. Is if if the Dodgers still offer Mookie Betts' contract, you know, the the three sixty-ish area, is he saying no to that? I don't know if he right. is. Because he's still in Los Angeles. He knows what he's worth. He knows what's going to happen from a, a memorabilia standpoint. There's all that stuff written into it that the CBA can't really account for in terms of what we can post on spot track. So I, I just think at the end of the day, the offer is going to be good enough to move away from the Angels. Speaking of which, this Mike Trout stuff is just as bad. This guy can't stay on the field as well. So any any hope of them retaining Otani here seems gone with, with Trout's scenario you know, simultaneously. Well, that's going to be my next point to all yeah. of this is that this is terrible. F- Otani's still going to be mega rich, and it's just a matter of how rich at this point, but he's going to be one of the wealthiest players in American sports without a doubt uh, when all of this is said and done. But it does feel like with the Angels 10 and a half games out, I mean, forget about the ALS, that's been out of the question for a while. But without Trout, without your ace on the mound in Shohei Otani, mm-hmm. their season is over, and he wants to win. I know he wants to get paid, and I'm sure his agent wants to maximize those dollars. The Players Association probably wants him to mm-hmm. as well. Um, so I'd be curious what their stance is on all of this. But the Angels become – I don't know what percentage you had them out b- before in terms of landing Otani again 10 years in the future, but how has that changed with this injury and, and their standing? The, yeah, the only world – where they're involved right now, in my opinion, is if they get him on that one-year placeholder, right? If they get him to say, stick around, we'll rehab you as best as we can. And, and by the way, that's a that's a really nice situation for them because now they have the the empathy side, right? Now, now we're the team that brought you back to life. We're going to give you $20 million to do it, whatever it's going to be. Um, so I, I do think there's, there's that angle still sitting out there. But, it, you know, let's just say he walks because I think it's, you know, 90-10 that he's walking at this point. I don't think Trout's tradable. I know Anthony Rendon isn't tradable, you know, and these these are two of the biggest contracts in the history of of baseball. So there's just not a path forward for this team, whether he stays or goes right now. It's just a really, it's a nasty financial situation for that whole roster. Yeah, they uh, they become increasingly less likely to sign him. And I guess they could play that card where they go, hey, we'll let you rehab We'll give you a year off. Just don't go anywhere. Right. And that way we can. Yeah, I think that might be their best play in all of this. Um, I know the Yankees, of course, are they're desperate. And so yeah. I, I wonder if they'd still be willing. Brian Cashman has already come out and said this season has been a complete disaster. They just uh, uh, were able to get a win and, and they were staved off 10 straight losses there in doing that. Yeah. I think they become one of those teams. It would be one of those desperation, big money baseball teams that would step in and say, "We're still, we're still willing to give you what you were originally worth before this injury." Right, and just lowball the first salary and, and let it kick in in twenty twenty five and go from there. Yeah, I think there's a few teams. The Dodgers, one of them. You know, would the Cubs be in on that? I've seen. I think the Cubs could find enough money in the banana stand to make that offer as well. As speaking of where they're going, uh, I. I guess with the Yankees is, is Brian Cashman going to be the guy to make that in 10 weeks here? Uh, and if he's here, if he's still the GM, is that the greatest last try last effort move ever, right? For a GM, we're going to bring in this guy, this unicorn guy 
And uh, you're going to have to give me two years to see where this goes, right? If you're Brian Cashman, because I'm this is a two-year process now. So I, I, I don't think that's, you know, too out of bounds to say. But at the end of the day, I, I don't know if the Yankees are a top five fit for Otani. You know, you know, even if that offer's there, I still, I'm still not sure Otani says yes to the Yankees. Yeah, I'm not sure he wants to be in that market. Definitely seems like more of a West Coast guy. I know that George Steinbrenner, if he were still with us, oh. would make sure that this went down, though. He'd have built him a house already. Yeah, it'd be over. <laughs> Rename Yankee Stadium, Otani yeah. Stadium. Okay, before I move on, because we've got some interesting stuff on Jonathan Taylor to get to as well, and then a bunch of little items that I want to hit on before we wrap up. But is there anything else on the Otani front before I switch gears to our favorite conversation of all, the running back position? The running backs. Yeah, we can't we can't quit the running backs. Uh, no, I'll just restate what I started with, which is it's a huge bummer for me. I was really looking forward to the nerdiest winter ever of trying to piece together a multifaceted valuation that even our algorithm can't do right now. We're having to yeah. finagle the algorithm to, to handle this guy. This is like, this was going to be Mike Janetti Christmas oh right here. And we've missed just, out yeah, on that. Ignore my kids. It's all about Shohei. And now I don't think I'm going to get there. So we'll see. <laughs> all right. Well, I'm sure that your children will appreciate it. We have even more news on the Jonathan Taylor front, this ongoing saga that seems never ending. The Colts reportedly giving Taylor until Tuesday to find a trade partner. So this is less than a week now. Uh, his agent getting on the phones, trying to figure out what the best landing spot is, any sort of extension that could come with it. Let's just start with the basics. There's a reason that Tuesday is the yeah. deadline. Why is that? Well, it's essentially the uh, the start of the regular season for all intents. It's cut down day. It's the, it's it's where everybody sort of sort of puts their their flag in the in the ground and says we're officially now a 53 man roster. Let's go from here. Um, I'm going to push this back on you. You do a lot of talk on this stuff. Jim Mercy is just screwing with everybody here, right? That's what this is, Brandon. This is him saying, I want a first round pick knowing he's never going to get it. There's not a single team that's going to hand it to him. He simply wants Jonathan Taylor to go out there, do all this work, and then eventually have to say no and say, oh, you're still a cult. Let's go. Go play because you can't hold out. We know you can't hold out. The CBA literally doesn't allow you to. And uh, we all know where this is headed. We'll pay the $4.3 million, go out there and do your job. I, I really do think this is his nastiest public move ever. Uh, well, it wouldn't be beyond Jim say no. to do that. He has become that owner. The Colts are quickly becoming the... There's always that one or two organizations that you just really would not want to be drafted by and you don't want to go there as a free agent. And, mm -hmm. you know, hopefully it works out for Anthony Richardson because uh, they drafted him fourth overall this year. But... The Colts are becoming a laughing stock. You look at all the coaching turnover over the years, the amount of quarterbacks that they've been through over the years. The fact that, I mean, Andrew Luck, and maybe that was just a personal decision, but when you start started piecing all of this together, I wonder if part of his decision making in retiring way sooner than any of us thought he would is because he was a member of the Indianapolis Colts and he knew that it was a clown show over there. I mean, look what they did last year with their coaching situation, plucking an analyst, Jeff Saturday, uh, mm -hmm. right out of the booth. And I know that he was a Colt, but there's a difference between playing offensive line and then becoming a head coach in the NFL. I think he sort of spit on the head coach position. So, and, and then you have that weird thing with the whale or shark. I don't know. He bought some sea creature. It's so <laughs> odd what is going on uh, with Jim Irsay. And he, he is definitely turning his franchise into a laughing stock. I will say this, though. I'm Maybe because I love Jonathan Taylor as a player and I want to see him land in a good situation. I'm also a Dolphins fan and would love to yeah. see him land with my squad. Um, wishful thinking is 
you're probably right that that was the initial plan is we're going to throw him out there and then we're going to make him look foolish because no one's going to give us what we want. And then they end up getting an offer that they can't refuse. I don't think it's going to be a first round pick. I'm 100% with you on that, but it could be the McCaffrey type of deal. You're still talking about a guy that is relatively cheap at the running back position that is a top five at the position. I think a lot of these rosters, like the Bears are, are a really interesting team to me in all of this because you've been looking at your team all throughout training camp in the preseason, and you've been seeing how much garbage you might have on your roster where you go, yeah. we have to upgrade. We're simply not good enough right now. Right now. It's easy in, in March and in June to think, oh, all optimistic, we're good to go. These coaches know what they're looking at. They know what they're missing, and and they can get in those GMs' ear and say, we need help right now. Jonathan Taylor would be that guy. Who else is available that's as good at his position as Jonathan Taylor? So still think a deal could be done, uh, but it might just be optimistic because I want I want JT out of that situation. All right, a couple of things. Number one, today is the four-year anniversary of Andrew Luck retiring, that bombshell retirement. Wow. So topical. Um, yeah, the Colts can't get away from the garbage. Uh, I, I'm with you here. I, I want him to move. I want him to be in a situation where he can thrive. I, I said it on the last episode. I think the Bears are in a position not only to to give up the draft picks, but to sign him, to actually give him the contract he's been asking for. And it sounds like the Colts turned down another offer from Jonathan Taylor's camp just this past week. So the Bears are in. The Rams aren't getting enough love in this. Uh, hmm. The Rams need to be looking around the room. And I know they were terrible last year. And Stafford's injury was was you know possibly career-worthy. But they need to be looking around the room right now because San Francisco's kind of a hot mess, not just the Trey Lance stuff, which we're going to get to. Yep. But Nick Bosa is still holding out. And, and I'm not sure that that contract is coming in the next week. So if he's not there, that's a huge piece on, on that side of the on that side of the ball. That's not going to be around for at least a few weeks, in my opinion. So they're they're at least, you know, they've got a chink in the armor. Seattle, we don't know if Geno Smith can do this again. Right. And Arizona is going to be the, one of the worst teams in football, and they're trying to be one of the worst teams in football. So if the Rams want to go out there and try to win nine, 10 games, this is a guy that can absolutely sit next to Cam Akers and do that for him, especially as Cooper Cup sort of rehabs himself back to full strength. So I, th they're in to me. They're like a one A team right now. And I forgot to mention them in my last episode. So I, I have to get them at the forefront here because they make a heck of a lot of sense. So and perhaps you've already done the research on this. I looked into it for the Dolphins because these are a couple of teams that are operating in a very similar way. The Rams already accomplished the goal and trading away all of their draft picks in order to put a team together that was good yep. enough to win a Super Bowl. And the Dolphins have gone through saying, we don't care about the draft. The NFL stole their last first round pick for the Tom Brady stuff. But still, <laughs> they have been trading their, for their draft picks like their Skittles. Do the Rams have any picks left? The, the Dolphins are, are, are running a little bit thin. They're without two of their seven in 2024. They could still mm -hmm. make it work with like a, a second, maybe a future second. Uh, I think they're without their third round pick in 2024 are the Miami Dolphins. But the Rams have been trading picks like hotcakes the last couple of years. So they, do they even have the equity to do this? It, it wouldn't be. No, they'd have to probably give up some kind of player back to, to offset some of the draft picks they don't have. But look, I, I agree with you that the McCaffrey uh, compensation makes sense. And that was what a two, three, four and a five with some conditions built on those middle picks. So something of that degree. And, and look, if you're talking money in that trade compensation, McCaffrey, had, I think, had 24 million over two years at the time he was traded. And, you know, Jonathan Taylor does not. He's got 16 million over. Or, yeah, about 16 million over the next two years with that first franchise tag. Uh, and that's without an extension. So he's a better value. 
not nearly as you know as versatile of a running back, but uh, they'll have to be creative. They'll probably be a player, somebody they're looking to move on from that can help the Colts because it's not like the Colts don't need somebody at every position right now. They have this is the cheapest wide receiving core in all of football, Indianapolis, with a rookie quarterback. So you can do yeah. the math on where they might end up in the next seventeen weeks if they don't make some kind of move. Um, but uh, yeah, there's a, there's a world where I think Chicago, Miami. Baltimore and the Rams are four legitimate teams now for Jonathan Taylor. I've been seeing the Eagles uh, out there. I don't know if that's just something people are throwing out there on social media. I don't see them as a team that needs a running back. They got DeAndre Swift in the Lions trade. They got Rashad Penny. And if those guys don't work, they've got the guys that have been in their stable for years in Boston Scott and Kenneth Gainwell. Do you want to put the uh, that fire out? No, you think be, there's smoke. Is there real? The only smoke reason, yeah, the only reason that their name has to be included is Howie Roseman loves to do business this time of year. He loves to do something late um, and, and make a splash, even if it's you know a lineman that he needs for depth right now. He'll do, he'll make those kind of moves. I, I just think they're set. I think they're totally set. I think they're going to call Indianapolis's bluff. Uh, most of the contenders, Kansas City, Buffalo, those kind of teams are waiting this thing out. They want to see the Taylor Colts situation get to an absolute garbage fire. And, uh, and then the value will start to dip a little bit. They'll have to move on from him if he's not going to show up and play for them. And, and that's when the, the, the sleeper contenders come in. But, you know, like I said, I think Chicago could come in right now with a huge, huge offer and maybe Miami to some degree as well. And just, just settle this thing immediately and, and put Jim Mercer's, uh, you know, whole, whole plan on notice. <laughs> Yeah, it seems a little I, I know you had brought up the Baltimore Ravens, and I, I think that that would be mm. I think they need to do it. I, I don't trust J.K. Dobbins and his yeah. health uh, and, and just in the way that they run their offense in the same way. The Colts really should honestly hang on to Jonathan Taylor for football reasons. So the same reasons I would say the Ravens should go after him when you have a running quarterback. It helps to have an elite back by his side. It puts a lot of stress on the defense. They just don't seem like the kind of organization that makes those. Um, heroic sort of moves. They, they they sort of nickel and dime their way to excellence. Ch- Chicago and Miami, to me, it's either yeah. it's those two teams are bust. The Rams one is interesting, um, but most likely, most likely he ends up not playing the first. He, this is the most likely scenario, Mike. Is he he stays on the pup list? He doesn't play the first month of the season, and then he comes back as a Colt. So, are you off of him on a fantasy perspective? No, I no, I'm, I think he's still worth the gamble. Round three, I'm still willing right. to take Jonathan Taylor. And then it, on the worst case scenario here, he's not sitting out. Worst case scenario is he misses the first month. And then hopefully you can patch together a decent record in fantasy. And then you get Jonathan Taylor on your team. Mm. If, he's, if he can play, they'll use him. And for the same reasons that I said with Lamar Jackson, I think he could be deadly with you have to worry about Anthony Richardson and Jonathan Taylor and I mean, your linebackers aren't going to know what to do with themselves. So Jonathan Taylor could have a huge year um, if he plays. And I think he will. Uh, (laughs) What does the future hold for Trey Lance in San Francisco? He's now been demoted. He's quarterback three on the roster. And there's not a team in the NFL that needs to hold three quarterbacks more than the San Francisco 49ers. But I'm assuming that he's on the trade block, too. He wasn't at practice on Wednesday. So what does this mean for the future of Trey Lance and what? What awful return could they get for him if they traded him? Because we're all going to start matching up what they spent to get him. Uh, I'm going to give you a hot take that's probably not too hot. Uh, Trey Lance was the third quarterback in March. 
right. The second they signed <laughs> Sam Darnold to one for 4.5 with six and a half million of incentives, wow. Trey Lance was done with this team. Um, they gave him a fair shake all spring and all summer here to go out there and prove that he could be, a, you know, a, a vested backup quarterback in this league. And I'm not sure he proved it. So um, they're not exactly being shy about their discontent with Trey Lance, which isn't going to help the trade value. You know, they're kind of destroying their negotiation process via public, you know, twi- the Twitter sphere and whatnot. So I don't think this goes well at all. I know there are teams that are being linked to him. Uh, Minnesota does make sense to me uh, because the Kirk Cousins expiring contract. I'm just not here to believe that they're going to flip this thing over next year. I think they're going to they're going to be good enough to where they want to keep that band together. Um, I've seen Atlanta floated out there because they don't. Nobody believes in Desmond Ritter. That's probably fair. You know, if you want to take a flyer on throwing Trey Lance into the mix at some point, Taylor Heineke, Desmond Ritter, and him, that's fine. If Tennessee goes 0 for 2 here on their draft picks and Malik Willis and and uh, Will Levis are really not the guys, then you take a flyer on throwing a sixth-round pick or a fifth-round pick for Trey Lance. It's fine. I mean, it's it's about six point six and a half million guaranteed here. Right. It's a very similar situation one year later than what Arizona had with Josh Rosen. And if you remember, I'm sure you do. The Dolphins gave up a second and a fifth to get Josh Rosen oh. away from Arizona. It was a nightmare. So that's not going to happen again. I mean, that's just not, you know, that's yeah. a one and teams done have scenario. smartened up on that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So we're talking, in my in my opinion, at the very highest, a fifth round pick. Uh, because of the potential value and because it's really just a backup quarterback salary at the end of the day. But I don't think we're going to get there. I think they're going to make San Francisco release this guy, pay that money, have the offset offsets available, and and bring this guy in on a minimum contract whenever they can. That's that's generally how this stuff is going now. They're going to make the team pay the money. Yeah, I mean, if I get a call from San Francisco and they want anything more than a sixth round pick, I would say you're starting a seventh rounder who's yeah. entering his second season over him, and Sam Darnold, who's on you know his Baker's dozens team in his well, NFL that- career. Two other things. I, you got to bring Tampa Bay in this conversation. You and I have talked about them a bit. You know, I don't think anybody likes Baker Mayfield or Kyle Trask, but one of them has to play football for them this year. Uh, so they're in I happen that to be a Kyle Trask guy myself. I think he's all right. That's they're not giving like, him a fair shake. That sounds like a Homer, a Homer statement there, but <laughs> I have um, three hours to fill every day in Orlando, Mike. I got to come up with something. Yeah, you've talked yourself into him. All right. I get it. Um, and, and the last thing is this. Th- doesn't San Francisco need to keep a third quarterback? I mean, doesn't it make sense to keep this guy? I, I yeah, you know, I Brock so. Purdy's injured and a seventh round pick, and Sam Darnold, Sam Darnold. So I, I don't know that they have a situation where they can just kind of throw Trey Lance to the side. If I had to put money on on what happens here, uh, unless things get ugly and and Trey Lance and his camp say you got to get me out of here, which we've seen happen with Darnold actually, um, I, I think he just sticks as a three and a half million dollar third quarterback, and they kind of utilize that process and, and go from there. But um, yeah, the teams that we mentioned are at least probably nibbling about this. I know Minnesota nibbled back in March. Uh, I'm of the essence that he doesn't move and the contract says that he doesn't have to. I mean, they changed the rules for the 49ers, you know, what happened in the playoffs. So they should absolutely hang on to him. It's fun to speculate on where he could go. By the way, as a reminder, for those that are wondering before you, you don't have to go and look it up. We got it. Uh, They traded. Three first round picks in the San Francisco 49ers and a third rounder to move up to number three to select Trey Lance. And it turned into quite the haul for everybody involved and uh, has not panned out. All right, Mike, let's get to some quick hits before we wrap up here. Today's edition of the Spot Track podcast. Corey Davis retires at the age Mm -hmm. 
of 28. How much money is he leaving on the table? And it's such an odd, you know, you don't see this a lot, 28 years old and, uh, and yeah. still could be a factor on a Jets team that should win a lot of games. I, I was actually a little interested to see how he was going to play this out because, uh, he was, he's been a bubble candidate for two years on this Jets team, you know, certainly. And then Rodgers gets here. And I was wondering, as, as a WR4 in Aaron Rodgers' you know, pass, passing offense, would he actually thrive a little bit? It just seems like he didn't have the – I feel like he had this kind, of th- this kind of history with him in Tennessee when he was drafted. It was a weird pick. You know, I think was it was number seven overall back in the day or number five even. Um, he made $50 million, $52 million with this big contract extension and things like that. So – um, I think he just looked around the room and said, I'm not going to have a huge role here. My body doesn't have it in me right now, and I'm going to walk away from this thing. It's just important to note um, that the Jets hold his rights. You know, that he had a $10.5 million salary. That goes by the wayside for cap purposes. They'll take on less than a million dollars of dead cap just to hold his rights. But, you know, it's not like he can just hop off and go to a different team right now and start this process over. He is on the reserve retired list but under the Jets' tutelage. So he's, he's, he's walking away from $10.5 million. He's made you know, plenty of coin in his career already. Uh, I don't exactly know the reasoning behind all of this. I never do. But um, my guess is he just looked around and said it's just not worth it, even though you know, not, not many of us would walk away from $11 million. Yeah, and, a, and the potential of a Super Bowl ring, even if That's he it. wasn't going to be all that involved in that situation. But if you want to... Um, if you're a Jets fan out there, you might want to turn the volume down in this moment. Uh, this moment, or really, I Uh-oh. guess it would be the Titans. This isn't really on the Jets. Uh, excuse me there, but fifth overall in 2017. That was the yeah. year, of course, where Patrick Mahomes went p- five picks later. So, yeah, didn't quite work out for the Titans <laughs> in that situation. Uh, all right, TJ Hawkinson wants to reset the market at mm. tight end. He's 26 years old. He's coming off of a career year, 86 catches with two different teams, the Vikings and the Lions. Uh, six touchdowns. I guess he's worth it in a sense of next man up. He is one of the better tight ends in the NFL, but he's not Kelsey. He's not Mark Andrews. So what say you in terms of what his aspirations are with this contract? Yeah, look, I've, I've had him valued in, in the 15s per year for quite a while now. He does have that kind of ceiling, and, and he's shown it at times, even in Detroit, on some of those bad offenses that he came up in. So I, I like the fit. I like him with Cousins. Cousins has always utilized the tight end properly. Uh, so I do think there's a big year coming. Uh, the problem for me is, I mean, he's he's asking for 16, 17 million in the same month that Justin Jefferson's asking for 31 million right down the road. So I don't think it's the best timing for him. My guess is Minnesota sees him as a franchise tag candidate next year, and they're going to slow play this thing because the tight end franchise tag is just too darn valuable right now. And uh, they want to spend their efforts and their time and their money on Jefferson most likely. So it's just bad timing. I think he's a heck of a player. I think he's probably worth that George Kittle type contract. That's second, you know, and Travis Kelsey's probably going to re-up after this year anyway and reset this thing all over again. So I, I'd wait this thing out. I'd get to the franchise tag. I'd use that as, as leverage. Uh, we, you can have Jefferson's contract under, uh, you know, on, on the books at that point, talking about Kirk Cousins probably in March at some point. Um, he, he probably sees what's happening in front of him. He knows the tag is coming and he's trying to get ahead of it, but it's just the wrong time for Minnesota to make that move right now. Yeah. And yeah, amazing. Kelsey going to reset the market yet again. He is defying all rules when it comes to age. Uh, his teammate, Chris Jones, his holdout mm-hmm. could last until week eight. He hinted on social media that quote, I can afford it. And he's right. He netted 60 million guaranteed in his last contract. So 
how do you see this one playing out? Because this could really impact the AFC is loaded and the yeah. Chiefs are are certainly part of that equation. But Chris Jones sets the tone for that defense. He does. And, uh, you know, I kind of put a, a sarcastic tweet out that I think the Chiefs can hold on for seven weeks without him. I'm not sure. You know, can they go four and three and seven weeks without him and, and then still be in the mix when he returns? Because uh, if they do, it's like 12 million for the rest of the year to keep him on, on the books when he when they know he has to return. So will they play hardball and, and and see that hold out through? It's possible. He's already given at this point. He's already already given up about four and a half million dollars uh, in terms of you know three preseason games missed, all of training camp, the fines and the fines from mini camp back in April. So you know he's given up a hefty chunk already. If he starts missing games, it's one point one million per game missed, and uh, and we'll see, he's banking on the fact that he can get sixty five seventy million guaranteed in this next contract and go from there and or that the Chiefs put him on the trade block, which I don't think we'll get to, you know, you know, it's quite yet. But again, I think this is a scenario where Kansas City sees the franchise tag in his future and they they might play hardball here and see just how long he actually wants to stay away from this team. Some of the Chiefs players, Mahomes specifically, are starting to get a little antsy with this and they're going to they're going to start to talk. And when that happens, you know, the uh, the Twitter sphere can be powerful with this. So I wonder if that starts to turn some heads. But I believe him. I believe that he's willing to to, to leave twelve and a half million dollars on the table, and uh, and stay out through week seven and go from there. But it's risky. Not a lot of people in the world would do that. That's for sure. Yeah, and I understand where he's coming from. He's part of the reason why they were hoisting that Super Bowl trophy. He's that big of a deal uh, for that team. And from the betting perspective of Detroit seven point underdog when the line opened up, and I know they're going to get that's a public darling. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's a lot of points. And the, and I, I think even sharp money would be on Detroit. So it'd be one of those marriages of of public love, even though the public loves Mahomes too. But there, there's something lovable about Detroit ever since mm-hmm. they were on hard knocks. The line has shifted. It's now six and a half. And I think the reason why is Chris Jones. Uh, that might not sound like a lot, but half a point. Uh, in, if if you're not a yeah, quarterback, for a defensive tackle, right? Or yeah. defense, no, no, there's, exactly. Outside of Aaron Jones, there aren't a lot of defensive tackles that are moving a line one iota. And so, for the yeah. opening game of the season, where this is going to be one of the more heavily bet games of the entire year, for them to shift the line, I think it does show you his overall value uh, as a player. Austin Matthews extension with the Maple Leafs, four years, fifty three million dollars. It's a thirteen point two five AAV, the highest total in hockey is he worth it he's worth it um i've been waiting for this one i've been waiting to talk with you for 24 hours about this contract and i bet you know why um i'm buffalo based so i hear a lot of toronto news and generally we don't like to hear toronto news here in buffalo but that's how it works um he's been asking for 16 million for months right the max is 16.3 million you can earn 20 percent of the salary cap in terms of what your aav can be on, a, on an extension so he's been asking for basically a max extension. And if, if he would have gotten that $16 million a year, the, the, the record out there is that he would have taken the eight-year contract. He took $13.25 million per year, but the compromise was, I'm cutting this thing in half. It's going to be a four-year extension. You've got me for the next five years, and that's all. He's going to be 30 years old at that point in time. This never happens in hockey. Never. We have so many garbage eight-year contracts on the books right now that make no sense. And players get locked into controlled costs because of this 20% max of a salary cap, initially speaking. So it's not like the NBA where you can get 8% increases and things like that. It's not as formulaic. Good players get screwed by year four on these contracts, and the team has them on on the books for eight. So my favorite part of this entire deal is, A, it's cash front-loaded. He's going to make almost $17 next year in 2024. 
That's the highest single season payout in the history of the NHL. So he's going to earn the most cash next year that any player ever has. So it's front-loaded cash-wise, and it's only a four-year extension. You know me in short contracts. This was a total slam dunk for one of the best players in hockey. And perhaps changes the game in terms of the way that yes. contracts are signed in that sport. I love that. That does it for today's edition of the Spot Track Podcast. If you like the content that you hear on this channel, follow, rate, review, subscribe, all of that great stuff. Thank you for welcoming me into the Spot Track family. I appreciate it. And uh, as always, SpotTrack.com for all the latest financial news in the sports world till next time.